mending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, Tuesday, June the 7th, uh, 2011. June is busting out all over. So why was it raining when I got up this morning? A friend of mine asked me, please, to try and be funny on the air today because everyone is so upset, unhappy about all that's going on in the world, you know. Hmm, Oscar Wilde used to say he didn't want to change anything about the world except the weather. His weather was English, so he had a point. I myself uh, love the rain. Uh, all I want to change is the hearts of men. I suppose, yeah, I suppose the hearts of women are a different story. Uh, anyway. I can't think of anything funny.、Uh, have you seen Maria Shriver's face? I thought about trying to be funny about the so-called scandal in Sacramento.、Uh, <laughs> do they still live in Sacramento? Arnold and Maria, the ex-governor, and his once-was wife. Pretty grim, grim tale.、Uh, When Maria Shriver first married Arnold, I thought it would become a story. Well, a Grimm's fairy tale. Yes, the brothers Grimm could do a good job on it this week. I listened to some of the jokes on television. Fell flat. Most of them. Bill Maher was especially mean.、Uh, Uh, the things he said about the woman who had Arnold's child,、um, the one who lived with the family all those years,、uh, unkind. Anyway, I wonder if her humiliation is any different than Maria's. To be the object of so much derisive laughter, so many、uh, reactions—the "I told you so" reactions, right—from <laughs> so many people, even those who. Should try to understand. Kind of, kind of spoils a woman's image.、Uh, what it does to Arnold's is another story. <laughs> the battle, the battle for men's minds is often fought on the field of women's bodies. Politics, politics. It's a little different for men and women. Well, consider.、Uh, oh, what's his name?、Uh, Bertolucci, the the、uh, the Italian great world leader, seventy something is he?、Uh, anyway, 
I was watching him on television the other day and thinking if only Federico Fellini were still alive. You remember Fellini, the great filmmaker, yes. Uh, there was uh, once he said he'd become an adjective, Fellini-esque, yes. Of course, Fellini was a misogynist too, but at least he knew it. Uh, Fellini had an affair with the British feminist Germaine Greer. That's a hoot. Can you imagine Berlusconi uh, dating old Gloria Steinem? <laughs> Not, oh, Jennifer, stop, stop. For the sake of the goddess, just cease, as we said in the 50s, cease. My humor is no fun at all. I want to speak a little bit about male privilege and female complicity in... Male supremacy. Ho, ho, no joke. It has been thus since sometime around the Bronze Age, early mankind could see, uh, could see differently. The early, early folks, you know, the really ancient peoples, they understood reality. Thus the reverence for the Great Mother, uh, you know, the ancient goddess cultures practiced what was called mother right. You know, mom was the center of the family structure. It's called matrilineal, you know. Uh, your heritage is uh, traced through the mother line because you certainly know who's your mom. Uh, the other business, you know, the uh, business of male... Uh, Heirs, males having heirs, that got very, very tricky. They had to wrap the women up, you know, property. Once women became property and their children more property, it got a little bit nasty. Uh, now, it's not exactly about who's the boss. That's a little bit later construct. Uh, uh, women... What women didn't want to be the boss, they just wanted to uh, uh, keep things together, you know. Uh, clans knew what to do to maintain themselves. Uh, just, you know, ask your mom. Uh, he'll tell your father what to do because he's an engineer and he can do it. He has the capacity. Uh, sometimes, however, he he doesn't really know what's the best thing to do, you know, what needs doing Okay, so Maria Shriver, she she accepted all that paternal structure that Arnold offered. Uh, obviously, he was cool for a while, and she was in love. If men are fools, then women are damn fools, you know. There are certainly uh, excuses for this, or they call them reasons. Her four children are... Uh, the result, if not the reason, her privileged background makes it hard for enlightened women and enlightened men to feel much sympathy for Maria's choice. Of course, she knew, I mean, she knew he was a womanizer at least, but like so many women, she chose not to believe. Uh, isn't it funny? The most intelligent women can always what is it? Uh, practice denial, I guess, is the word. Uh, maybe maybe they just figure, uh, what is it? They got more out of it than it took away. But anyway, Maria, uh, 
She hasn't got the excuse of economic determinism, you know, uh, the way the mother of Arnold's child, so-called illegitimate child, uh, she, of course, um, was looking out for the uh, the main chance. We forgive women sometimes when we see how they must struggle to thrive in this man's world. Uh, mm, unkind things are said about this. It's called being a gold digger. The notion that uh, women... Uh, <laughs> exploit men so that they can feed their children. Anyway, uh, on the other hand, when it comes around to the uh, uh, the actual inheritance, oh, it's so confusing. Women own about 1% of the world's property. Anyway, I've never been able to figure out some of this stuff. Uh, I, I, um, I didn't have to do too many humiliating things because I'd always been able to feed my children. Not very well, certainly, but what the hell. It is the USA, and uh, hmm, I had some of the good stuff. Anyway, I hear the people gossiping about Arnold and saying that he is European, therefore less, what, democratic? <laughs> you know, as if Americans were any different where women are concerned. Give me a break. Arnold is a jockocrat. He is a megalomacho stereotype right out of his movies. Conan the Barbarian down to the bone. Got a cute accent, though. <laughs> a thing of beauty is a boy forever. He's not my type. I, I have heard Arnold Schwarzenegger described as looking like a condom stuffed with walnuts. I thought that was a bit harsh. Once again, our public servants, politicians, wrong word, servant, yes, uh, are providing us with a colossal soap opera. <laughs> you remember Monica? Mm-hmm. Lessons in human culpability. Uh, it's like uh, Greek drama. Politicians are always suffering from hubris. They get some power and then they misuse it, you know. What was that line in Once Upon a Time in the West? I loved it. Yes. Give me the land, the money, and the woman. That's it. Down Venus, up Mars. Uh, the quintessential model, the or example, that's spelled U-R. I guess that means the original or first. For um, America, I think, is Thomas Jefferson, father of his country. In more ways than one, arch patriarch. There he was at home at Monticello, where mixed-race children and grandchildren all lived together with their half-siblings, just like it was up in Sacramento. Everybody in the same house. Some slave, some free. Uh, the mother of the country, our country, is, in a sense, Sally Emmons, the mistress of Thomas Jefferson, uh, his lover from their first days in Paris when... Sally was 15, Thomas Jefferson was 45. She tended 
his grave until her own death. Uh, let's see, he died. I'm trying to get the dates here. I think it was 1816. Anyway, there... Uh, relationship went on for 38 years and when Jefferson died she lived in a cottage where she could take care of his grave uh, so I think she must have liked him uh, who who can say she didn't love him she bore him six children the first one is in dispute but I think uh, there were four surviving children uh Jefferson had been a widower for five years when Sally Hemings arrived in Paris uh, together with Jefferson's daughter, Polly. The Hemings family was part of the uh, larger clan, the whole clan, for generations. They were, let's call it, co-families. Co uh, Sally was the half-sister of Jefferson's legal wife, Martha. Uh, Martha's father, John Wales, had a mistress or concubine named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hemings, and she gave birth to Sally Hemings, so uh, Martha was the half-sister of Sally. Look it up. The genealogy is a portrait of the 18th century. I love this stuff. It's so, what is it, uh, romantic, uh, of course, he had to be there. Jefferson neither affirmed nor denied this lifelong relationship with Sally. Bill Clinton could take a page from that book. Uh, Jefferson promised his wife never to remarry, never to set someone else over her children. Uh, anyway, miscegenation was illegal in Virginia in those days. He couldn't marry uh, Sally. Uh, he freed her uh, apparently in Paris although uh, that's hard to prove uh, all the accounts seem to disagree she certainly never left uh, the children mostly left when they were oh 21 or so daughter Harriet she got what $50 and a horse the older sons and some of the younger sons pardon me stayed on with their mother, Sally, even I get confused. Uh, Jefferson's first loyalty or concern was his so-called legitimate daughter, Martha, and her 12 children. His other children uh, died. Let's see. The grandchildren would have been the age of Sally's children. What a story. Terrific. Uh, there are new books out everywhere. Uh, the history of these remarkable people. Check them out. Another century, of course, brought along the Civil War in which Europeans, so-called, did fight to free these captive peoples to end slavery. We know, <laughs> yes, we know that slavery ended back in 1865 or so. Was it 1864? Anyway, uh, of course, we had Jim Crow later. Uh, all this business of progress is so confusing. Anyway, I am of the opinion that the Civil War didn't do a damn thing for gender inequity. Uh, there was some some effort on the part of uh, abolitionists to include women. Uh, just remember, though, it was both black and white women who had no vote in this country 
until World War uh, One. Black men got the vote. Uh, they were enfranchised at the time of the Civil War. I wanted to read you today a few entries from a famous diary. It's called The Diary from Dixie. It's written by Mary Boykin Chestnut. She was the wife of General Chestnut, who was an aide to Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy, uh, the South, right, the Southern Confederacy. There are many little entries here about her affection for and visits to the wife of Jefferson Davis. Uh, oh, they were happy pals. She said that Mrs. Davis didn't like playing first lady in the South. It was much more fun in Washington. Anyway, uh, she was, Mary Chestnut, was a woman of some wealth, and of course uh, she had access to the ruling class, the world of privilege, as a woman, uh, she could see how it was for these female captives. Uh, at the same time, there are all kinds of, what is it, confusions for the reader. I just noticed that she had no children. The couple was childless, it says. So Mary Chestnut had time to think and write and travel. I don't know how... Harriet Beecher Stowe managed. She had all kinds of children and problems, and she still managed to write uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. I want to read you a description of a mulatto woman being sold that uh, Mary Chestnut observed. It, uh, uh, it upset her, let's just put it that way. Uh, let's see what she says here. Uh, she says that she went out walking. Yes, she went out walking, and she didn't mean to do it. She didn't mean to, um, yeah, she didn't mean to go where the auction block was. But, uh, yes, she, let's see, this is March the 4th, 1861. I have seen... A Negro woman sold upon the block at auction I was walking. The woman on the block overtopped the crowd. I felt faint, seasick. The creature looked so like my good little Nancy. She was a bright mulatto with a pleasant face. She was magnificently gotten up in silks and satins. She seemed delighted with it all, sometimes ogling the bidders, sometimes looking quite coy and modest. But her mouth never relaxed from its expanded grin of excitement. I dare say the poor thing knew who would buy her. My very soul sickened. It was too dreadful. I tried to reason, you know how women sell themselves and are sold in marriage, from queens downwards, eh? You know what the Bible says about slavery and marriage. Poor women, poor slaves. And this 
diary goes on to say many things, uh, mostly about the war. She says that she had kept a diary most of her life, but she would write every day now because the uh, the war has come. They fired on Fort Sumter. Uh, uh, she writes, I wonder if it be a sin to think slavery a curse to any land. Men and women are punished when their masters and mistresses are brutes. Not when they do wrong. Under slavery we live surrounded by prostitutes. Yet an abandoned woman is sent out of any decent house. Who thinks any worse of a Negro or mulatto woman for being a thing we can't name? God forgive us, but ours is a monstrous system, a wrong and an inequity. Like the patriarchs of old, our men live all in one house with their wives and their concubines. And the mulattoes one sees in every family partly resemble the white children. Any lady is ready to tell you who is the father of all the mulatto children in everybody's household but her own. Those, she seems to think, drop from the clouds. My disgust sometimes is boiling over. And she goes on to talk about the speed with which things are happening, the war and so forth. Uh, and Fort Sumter uh, on fire. Anyway, and how the women all say that God is on our side, right? <laughs> and she wonders about that. Anyway, she goes on to say, not by one word or look. Can we detect any change in the demeanor of these Negro servants? Lawrence sits at our door as sleepy and as respectful and as profoundly indifferent as always. So are they all. Hmm, they carry it too far. You could not tell that they even hear the awful noise that is going on in the bay. Though the guns are dinning in their ears night and day. <sighs> and people talk before them as if they were chairs and tables. Yet they make no sign. Are they stolidly stupid or wiser than we are? Silent and strong, biding their time. She goes on about visits to the wife of Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confeder Confederacy, and she writes, Now every day we grow weaker and they stronger. Okay, I did not know there was such a bitter cry left in me, but I wept my heart away today when my husband went off. Things do look so black. And she goes on to write a lot about the soldiers, um, about the wives and mothers on both sides of the battle. Uh, her husband using morphine to help 
alleviate the pain of a dying soldier. He writes to his wife, this is my first battle now. I hope my heart will not grow harder. Interesting. She goes on to write, I hate slavery. You say there are no more fallen women on a plantation than in London in proportion to numbers. But what do you say to this? A magnet who runs, a hideous black harem with its consequences under the same roof with his wife and daughters, holds his head as high, poses as the model of all human virtues. Ah. He models himself before these poor women whom God and the laws have given him, and from the height of his awful majesty he scolds and thunders at them as if he never did wrong in his life. Fancy such a man finding his daughter reading Don Juan. You, with that immoral book, he would say, ordering her out of his sight. So you see, Mrs. Stowe did not hit the sorest spot. She makes Legree a bachelor. Here she's writing about Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. In Uncle Tom's Cabin, Simon Legree is a mulatto overseer who is particularly cruel. And uh, as she says, he's a bachelor. He doesn't have a wife to torture. So he tortures other slaves. She goes on to write, We ought to be grateful that any one of us is alive. But nobody is afraid of their own Negroes. I find everyone, like myself, ready to trust their own yard. I would go down on the plantation tomorrow and stay there, even if there were no white person in twenty miles. My Molly and all the rest, I believe, would keep me as safe as I should be in the Tower of London. Now that's a confusing entry. I wonder if she knows what went on in the Tower of London. <laughs> anyway, I guess some people were safe in the Tower of London, but others uh, were executed. Anyway, I don't have time to read you this next passage, but I'll start it. Because uh, it's a wonderfully poetic passage about a black preacher in the Negro church and her main point is that she doesn't understand uh, what he says. She says there was literally nothing in what he said, obviously. How could he possibly say the truth? Uh, she said the words had no meaning at all. It was the devotional passion of voice and manner which was so magnetic. The Negroes sobbed and shouted and swayed backward and forward, some with aprons to their eyes. Uh, Jim Nelson was his name, the preacher in the Negro church on her plantation, the stateliest darky I ever saw, she writes, tall and straight as a pine tree with a fine face. Not so very black, but a full-blooded African, he was asked to lead the prayer. He became wildly excited on his knees. Facing us with his eyes shut, he clapped his hands at the end of every sentence. His voice rose to the pitch of a shrill shriek, yet was strangely clear and musical occasionally in a plaintive minor key that went to your heart. Sometimes it rang out like a trumpet. I wept bitterly. It was all sound, however, and emotional pathos. 
<laughs> most of the uh, most of the people clapped their hands, responding in the same shrill tones. Yes, God, Jesus, Savior, bless the Lord, and so on. It was a little too exciting for me. I would very much have liked to shout too. Suddenly, as I sat wondering what next, they broke out into one of those soul-stirring Negro camp meeting hymns to me. This is the saddest of all earthly music. Weird, depressing, beyond my powers to describe. She ends this part of the journal saying uh, that she will... Not right anymore, not for want of something to say, but from a loathing of all I see and hear, why dwell upon it? Enough. I will write no more. That's Diary from Dixie by Mary Boykin Chestnut, all about uh, the South during the Civil War, a place where men kept wives and concubines under the same roof. Just like we do in Sacramento. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next week at this same time. Go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.